Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. And welcome to Tuesday Topics. We thought we'd never get here. Uh, last week at this time, I was chugging along on a train between Orlando, Florida and Hollywood, Florida, trying to get home. And when it became clear a few hours before that I was going to uh, have to try to do Tuesday Topics while transferring from a train and transferring into an Uber or Lyft and then transferring at my house, I decided that this just was not a good plan. So I apologize to everyone uh, and to Patty, who is our guest, uh, for not being here last week. But what, what could not be done last week will simply build in anticipation for this week. So welcome, everyone. We are glad to be back with Tuesday Topics, and we're glad to have you guys with us. And we're going to be talking about two affiliates. Uh, one of which I will talk about, and that's the one of which I'm president, it's the Braille Revival League. And the other affiliate that we're going to be talking about uh, is represented by their newly elected president, Miss Patty Cox. And Patty, tell us what that affiliate is and, and tell us a little bit about it. The Council of Citizens with Low Vision International and anyone who has or is visually impaired is welcome to um, be a part. Um, and we are very active right now. We have a lot of active um, committees. Um, so we're doing a lot of work and um, making some changes for the better. So we invite everybody to come to our meetings and see what we're about, get involved. So, so tell us about some of the meetings you're doing now, Ms. Patty. Um, well, we, we're doing our membership drive. So our membership uh, committee is very active. Um, we have changed Vision Access. Vision Access is no longer a magazine. Um, it is now a newsletter that we are putting out every other month. Um, anybody who would like to submit articles, we would be happy to uh, look at them and consider them. Um, we have uh, our publications committee is chugging right along. Make, we're making some changes, getting in touch with affiliates, other affiliates, state affiliates, um, and seeing what we can do with them to work with other affiliates to get their low vision people uh, in, in with CCLVI. And maybe we can give them some, a little bit of help on just anything. And right now at this time with the pandemic, a, a lot of people are maybe looking for different ways to keep themselves busy. So um, we do have a lot of chat calls. We have a game night twice a month. We have chat I calls. I have to talk every, to you some more about that. Uh, we have uh, chat calls every Friday morning 
and and twice in the evening each month. So we have a, there's a lot of places where you can interact, um, ask questions, get advice. Maybe you could give us advice. So we have a lot going on. Excellent. So if people want to send articles, where do they send them? They send them to vision.access at cclvi.org. Okay, so that's vision, V-I-S-I-O-N dot A-C-C-E-S-S at, at, what's the website? cclvi.org. Very good. <clears throat> so CCLVI has how many members now? We have roughly 275 members. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting. Growing. Yep, because a lot of organizations um, in ACB, um, BRL is another example, used to have a, a much greater number of members. Um, I know that CCLVI at one point had over the 625, yeah? They had over a thousand yeah. members. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know what the highest number that BRL had, but we had 25 votes at one point as well. Our, our membership is probably a little bit less than CCLVI's. I think we're right at 200 members. Uh, and my membership secretary may, may kill me because I'm, because I'm misstating our, our membership right around there though. Um, so let me talk for just a second about the Braille Revival League. It's an organization that started in about 1980. When did CCLVI start, Patty, do you know? 1979. Yeah, so right around the same time. Um, and um, BRL was, was, was basically formed as uh, it became increasingly clear that with the advent of the new technology and speech coming on computers and um, teachers suddenly deciding that it was better to use speech to teach kids than it was to use Braille, it was becoming less and less easy um, for Braille to be taught. And we were also noticing that some of the some of the hard copy Braille publications that used to be out there were gradually disappearing. And that the number of Braille readers uh, that was being served by the Library of Congress was getting smaller. And that the, the Braille reading population in this country as a whole was getting older. So we decided that it was time to form an organization and that organization was called the Braille Revival League. Um, and I think it's significant that um, 40 years later, we're really um, at a place where a lot of the problems remain the same. While we may have made things a little bit better and, and while certainly the outlook for Braille is a lot better than it was. And we'll talk about some of the reasons why that's true as the evening goes on. Um, it, you know, some of the basic problems um, that surround Braille still remain. And I suspect that's true um, for CCLV as well. Um, so Miss Patty, what do you think are the biggest problems that partially sighted folks have now? Um, being able to read whatever it is. And with the new technology, yes, we do have more ways 
to enlarge print, but um, sometimes I feel that people are saying I get all of this mail and everything is in such a small font that, um, and I don't have a device for my magnifier is to, uh, is not as high powered as it needs to be. I'm having trouble reading. So I think that's one of the major problems is we have more people that are losing their vision to macular degeneration and they don't know how to cope with the vision loss. Now, one of the things you guys have every month are, are low vision calls. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those? Um, every month we have Let's Talk Low Vision and they have a subject each month. In fact, it's on tonight at 8.30. Um, it's every third Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Um, and it, it, it ranges from different subjects. Um, it could be a professional. It could be someone who has um, a certain product to sell. It, it could be just about anything, but there's a specific topic that we talk about. And, and usually, or often, you, you, you do have real live, honest to goodness optometrists or ophthalmologists on, yeah? Yes, yes, we do. Yes, most of the time. And, and that's pretty exciting. Uh, and it's been going on for quite a while now. I mean, what, five years or so? Um, it's before me. Well, I wouldn't yeah. say before me um, because I've, I've been around ACB for a long time. Um, so yeah, it's sort of hereditary I, in your family. I think that's. It is. <laughs> um, uh, Michael Byington spoke at our convention and he called himself and my mother the ACB brats. Well, there yeah. are ACB brats. There are ACB uh, brats. kids, kids, <laughs> and there are grand brats now. So, yep. um, but uh all of our meetings, uh, you know, the Let's Talk Low Vision, it's very good. It's very informative. I encourage everybody to go listen um, at least once. Um, as there's different, uh, as I say, there's different subjects. And if you'd like to get on our email list, we can put you on the email list. Oh, tell people how to do that, Patty. Uh, you can go to cclvi.org mm -hmm. and and you can go to our website. It will get you to membership forms, uh, our vision access, and it can also get you to where you can sub subscribe to our email list. Excellent. So um, the Let's Talk Low Vision, I think, is on ACB radio, is it not? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, so people is. can also listen on ACB radio mainstream to Lex Talk low vision and you can find the schedule when when that program is available by going to uh, the ACB radio webpage um, or, or just by listening to mainstream in between programs you get to hear the dulcet tones of uh, Debbie Hazelton telling you about the schedule um, it it may may not be entirely up to date but we're getting there and um, but the truth is uh, but the truth is she will tell you about uh, Let's Talk Low Vision. And, and I have listened to a number of those shows and have learned a lot. I'm sort of an outsider because since I was born with, uh, with no vision, 
a lot of what I've learned, I've learned from folks with, with partial vision about um, what, uh, what the issues are that, that surround folks with low vision. So Patty, if, if you're partially sighted and you're using magnifiers uh, and it's still a struggle for you to read, is there a cutoff point at which um, CCLVI might recommend to a person who is who is a, a low partial, let's say, that they actually stop using large print to read? You know, I'm a firm believer that you should use that vision until you can't use it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but the transition before you lose all your vision, as it's gradually going away, um, it, it's best if you go through the transition with using voiceover and um, screen readers. And you can also use that even beforehand. Um, someone at our chat call last night said that on their iPad, they use a magnifier and they use speech and no, I think it was their PC. I'm sorry, their PC. They used the, you know, the magnification mm -hmm. to read and they have it coordinating with the speech and they can hear and read. And if they miss something, they're still hearing what's there and, and can read that too. So, so really think, a combination kind of work. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's best if you do the combination. Um, I haven't gotten to that point yet. So um, I listen to others and I learn from others, you know, where, where is that point? Well, it's different for everyone. It was, um, kind of a, it was kind of a struggle for me because I was in charge of access services at uh, the largest community college in the country. Um, and I'd have a lot of uh, large French students come in and want CCTVs in their classrooms, and that was fine. I was glad to put them there, glad to make magnifiers available to them that they could take home with them. Um, all, all the things you're supposed to do as a college director, but um, some of them were, were, were to the place where, where they were reading at less than 150 words a minute. Um, and, and I would say to those folks, you know, you're not going to get through a college or university education reading at that speed. You're just not. No, that that's very slow. And that's when you need to, you know, you should have been into the transition phase at that point. Um, but sometimes people are, I think the hardest thing for anyone is to say, I've got to give up that reading or I'm, you know, I can't, I can't give up doing something because I've been doing it with my vision. And, and a, the biggest thing I hear is, is people say, well, I kept driving after I found out <laughs> that I was legally blind. Now I'm a bioptic driver. Um, I have pretty high vision. Yeah, hold um, on for a minute. Hold on. Hold on. You need to tell folks what bioptic driving is because a lot of our listeners will not know. But bioptic <clears throat> driving is um, you can drive a car by using a special pair of glasses. In each state, it is different. 
of how the glasses are made, but they usually have a monocular on them, um, on one eye, and you really don't need two eyes to drive. I know a lot of people have it only on one. Um, and you have, it, it makes things easier to see, stoplights. And, and, and that monocular brings distant things closer, yeah? Yes, yes, yeah. it does. Um, you know, with the bioptic driving, I, I say to people when they say, well, I'm still driving a car and I'm like, you're looking at that package in the store and you've got it two inches from your face. And I'm thinking, oh, oh my gosh, you know, it kind of scares me. I try to want to get out of the store before they, they leave. Um, <laughs> but it, that is one thing that, that people, I hung up the keys when I quit driving, when I got, when I had developed cataracts, I went home. It was a gray day and there was a gray film over my eyes. And I, I just went home and I said, I'm done driving. Um, since then I've picked it back up and became a bioptic driver because before I was not a bioptic driver. Now bioptic driving isn't legal in lots of states. Is that right? It's, I'm not sure exactly how many states that it's legal in. But yeah. I know ACB has quite a few bioptic drivers. We so do. I'm, I'm not sure which states that it is in. I know Kentucky, Mississippi, Indiana. Yeah, are the and, three and, that I'm for sure of. And, and, and Georgia as well, I think. But, but uh, Florida, for instance, it's not legal to be a bioptic driver. Um, it's interesting. Are you guys doing anything about that at the moment? Or is it just not high on your priority list? Um, I'm really not sure. Our legislative committee has formed and they have come up with um, three goals that they're going to work on right now. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't heard anything from anyone about um, us, you know, helping pursue getting bioptic driving in any state. Um, it, it, it goes, it goes through it goes through periods where, where people really want it and then, and then it sort of dies down. Um, it's, it's kind of cyclical there, you know, there was a time 15 or 20 years ago when, when people were really actively working to extend it. Um, uh, so do you know what your three goals are? I am not sure right this second. I've read them, but I don't remember them. I can look them up. You're good. You're good. So um, let me talk a little bit more about BRL and then I'll come back to you, Ms. Patty. Okay. So BRL is doing some of the things that, um, that CCLVI is doing. Um, I, I should actually ask Patty this too, just before I start talking about it. You have some state affiliate chapters, Patty, yes? Yes, we do. Where are they? Um, Kentucky, mm -hmm. California, mm -hmm. New York, and um, the Pennsylvania area. Excellent. Um, Excellent. It's interesting because the, the similar locations for um, the Braille Revival League, we also have state affiliates in, well, we've got one that's, that's kind of coming back, we hope, into existence in Missouri. We have one in Illinois. 
We have one in California. We have one in Florida. Um, we have one in Pennsylvania. And we are actively working to create one in New York. And we have one in Texas. So, um, and those state affiliate chapters are, are really useful, we think, in BRL. And I suspect that what Patty's going to say is the same thing. Um, a lot of the ways that you can promote Braille are best done at a state or local level, in my opinion. Uh, you can get out there and, and, and do reading demonstrations. You can do things to celebrate Louis Braille's birthday, which is coming up on the 4th of January this year, by the way. He will, um, he will be, be becoming something of an old man. He'll be 212. So... so. <laughs> Um, he isn't with us now. I, I, I guess I should say that. Um, but um, so we do celebrations surrounding surrounding his birthday. We do a, a lot of state activities. Also, a lot of the laws that we've had to work on have been state laws where we have wanted to create state laws that make it harder for school systems not to teach kids Braille. Um, it's because we think it's really important that every child who could potentially benefit from learning Braille is given an opportunity to do that. And there, there are a lot of states and a lot of school districts even now who certainly don't have vision teachers who are really comfortable teaching Braille. Um, and so one of the things that, that we're also uh, working towards is making sure that the programs that teach teachers of the visually impaired uh, are in fact um, doing a good job of training those folks that they will be competent braille teachers or so they will be competent braille teachers. One of these nights I'll learn to speak. So um, our, our state affiliates are pretty active. We also do a number of things uh, between conventions. We have our board meetings, which are open. Um, we are now doing everything virtually on Zoom. Um, we, have, um, we have meetings every two months called the Braille Buzz Calls. And we've, we've done some interesting things with those. Um, our last one, we had Tamara Rory, who is um, in charge of the Braille section at the Library of Congress, who did a really interesting call on what that Braille section does and also talking about the new Braille e-reader project, which was pretty exciting. Um, before that, we had the folks from Hadley talking about the changes they've made in their website and the way that they're teaching Braille and um, the kind of folks that they're trying to attract and the really fundamental changes that they've made some of them we think are, are great. Some of them we're not so sure about. Um, some of the specialized courses in Braille that Hadley used to teach um, are, are no longer going to be available. And we're, we're kind of disheartened by that. Before that, um, we did uh, a Braille buzz call on grade three Braille. Now, for those of you who are older, you may remember that this is a system that was used by a lot of us who kind of grew up um, in the 40s and 50s, um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's got a lot more contractions than grade two Braille does and can save, I think, about twice as much space. I mean, it, it is amazing how quickly you can write. 
and most people who are really, really competent um, Braille readers um, um, actually have have played with grade-free Braille. We're hoping to set up a teaching group within the next little while so that people who want to learn grade three Braille, which is no longer available as a Hadley course, um, will get a chance to get together as part of um, the Braille Revival League. So um, what do your state affiliates do, Miss Patty? Well, I can talk about one state affiliate for sure, and that is Kentucky. Um, the other ones, they have meetings. Um, I have not been informed of when their meetings are, but Kentucky has two meetings each month that are, are open for anyone. It's, it's kind of a support call. They do have, um, they'll have guest speakers um, tomorrow night. In fact, it is Matt Selm who is um, part of Next Generation and he is also now the president of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. He is going to be on tomorrow night. Um, it's every first and third Wednesday of the month. And we can, again, if you would like to get on our email list, um, and it's on our website. So um, we can get you connected. Are there some low vision things that you think work better at the state and local level? Um, I think that, um, well, here in Kentucky, before COVID, we had in-person meetings twice a month on the second and the fourth Thursdays. And, you know, my mom and I started the, the little group and we thought it'd be great if we had five people there. And there were times we had 20 to 25 people coming. Um, and I think in-person works well because the questions that we had and the things that we could show, different ways to magnify things, um, such as those um, tinted line where you look at it, it would show you uh -huh. like a line on the book. Um, we would show them that or, or black line paper. Um, one lady even asked if, um, how do you plug something in? And, and just to be able to show people how to do the smallest of things is, is very um, rewarding, you know, to see that you've made a difference. So let's, let's talk for a minute about an issue um, that, that has accomplished quite a lot or, or that has managed to create quite a lot of the debate of debate. One of the things that BRL has tended to say um, in, in some of the stuff that we do to promote is that learn Braille and become literate. And there are a lot of people who take exception to that. Uh, they say, if I'm using a computer with speech, I'm literate. How do you as president of CCLVI feel about that? If somebody is just using speech on a computer and <clears throat> is not um, is not actively involved in using magnification, is that person literate or not? I believe that they're 
they could be literate. Um, but again, just like with Braille, um, I'm, I'm not literate in Braille, but I feel like, you know, I am literate. So, um, but you, you can, you can I still think read it's large important. print though. I can still read large print, um, but um, I would say since I've had cataract surgery, um, the large print's not as easy to read. So uh -huh. I feel I'm still literate, but now I use a device because I was yeah. reading large print, um, 18 point large print, right. which is glasses. And now um, yeah, I When use, you say you use a device, what are you talking about? I use CCTV, uh, ah, new okay. eyes. But, but again, that's still, that's, that's still magnifying the print and reading the print. Right. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't question wh whether you were literate there, but, but if you could no longer read large print, would you be literate? Yes. Okay. Um, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting debate. And when we open it up, relatively soon. We'll see what some members of the audience think about this as a question. Um, I, I'll, I'll talk about two things because uh, Brian Charleston and I used to have uh, used to have some major debates and really planned to, to do that um, during a convention at one point. Um, essentially, um, my view is that even if you're just using speech you're probably literate, but not very competent in terms of literacy. Um, one of the things that was interesting that, that I had to fight with a lot when I was uh, in charge of access services was a lot of the entrance tests before I got there um, and a lot of the, the tests that were required for graduation from high school uh, were reading tests. And those reading tests used to require that you either take those tests using large print or using Braille. And if you couldn't take them either way, um, uh, in Florida, you couldn't graduate from high school, which meant that they created an, an opportunity for um, ex ex exemptions that people got. Um, but I fought very hard to say that that kind of reading test or that kind of test of literacy and comprehension is, is, is not measured by the way that you read, but by your ability to understand what you read. Um, and so for me, um, it was very important to establish that, that literacy itself doesn't depend entirely on whether you can read print or read Braille. Um, but on the other hand, I think being able to read both is, or either, is really important. My ability to read large print was pretty impossible, but, um, but I did used to use an Opticon and was able to do okay. Um, you know, I, I, I found that I could read probably for, um, for 20 minutes or half an hour at about probably no more than 30 words a minute, but I read books that way. Uh, which is an indication of how much I wanted to read books. And the other thing that I think we need to say when we're talking about the whole literacy debate is that uh, blind people on average have probably read more books per capita than their sighted counterparts. Um, 
which which makes it very difficult to call anyone who's blind illiterate. But Absolutely. it's an interesting debate. Yeah. Yes, because okay, I'm one that uh, I I don't listen to books. I I guess because I remember when I was young that when it was time to take a nap that we would hop up in my grandfather's lap and you know go to sleep to the talking book so I guess that's something that um I I you know use as a sleep aid but um but I I believe that I, I mean I see on Facebook people all the time this is a good book and then three days later there's another one from the same person this is a good book so uh -huh. I I firmly believe that people who are totally blind read more than those with large print yeah well and I, and I think and, and I think blind people whether partially sighted or not read more than their sighted counterparts uh, I, I think it's pretty amazing who would you like to recognize Mr. Rick go ahead Terry good evening hi Debbie I mean uh, hi Patty hi Paul I think this whole topic of literacy is of, is has always been a stickling point for a lot of people, but I think you're leaving out one important part of literacy. And this is where I think that especially with young children, starting at a very young age, people need to either learn print and or braille. And that's because a part of literacy is being able to write, not just to comprehend. And it's far too often I, that we can that you can find people who have learned by listening cannot spell, and the, what's really important about that I know I can think of two attorneys that we all know who cannot spell for beans and cannot punctuate for beans who were both br brought up learning audibly. Now, there are folks who say, Terry, and, and, and you can comment on this because you're a Braille producer, but there are folks who say that, that even kids who read Braille um, are not good spellers. I, I, don't, I don't know what the reason is, but I am a good speller. I mean, I, 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 defy, um, I defy virtually anybody to whom I send articles to, to, to find spelling errors in what I send. What they, what they, what they will sometimes find is note taker trans, translation errors, but- um, As but, long as you're so, not accepting what you accept. Well, that's right. As long as I'm not yeah. dictating, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dictation can get you into trouble. But Terry, um, is, is, uh, is literacy, does, does literacy also involve, do you think, um, finding a way that you can effectively, uh, for, for instance, look at notes? Is that crucial? I think it, I, we all need to be able to look at notes, yes. What I think is equally is the most, probably one of the most crucial points is that when once you someone has gone through the whole education system, for instance, and then starts looking for a job, you are not going to get very far ahead if you write a legal brief that has 40 or 50 spelling errors in it, has no. where spelled the wrong way or there, the wrong there. I, 
like that. Yeah. And those are the kinds of things that people do not learn to do, tend not to learn right. to differentiate when learning by sound only. I, I think that's a really good point. Thank you, Miss Terry. Yes. Have a great night. We will. And, and we may hear from you again. You never can tell. Never can. <laughs> Patty, any comments on what Terry said? I, I agree with her. Um, you know, just with the sound not being able to, uh, on the large print side of it, um, being able to see those words. Um, they came out with an app and I was watching one of those, um, you know, little commercials on the on the iPad one day and um, it was a game where you could pick the word there and the word there mm -hmm. and, and uh -huh. you read the sentence and you've got to pick it <clears throat> and I've had friends on Facebook that have dropped the game because they don't know and I'm like you know those Ooh, that's were bad yeah, I mean, bad. the word two and the word two and the word two, and they, they have a sentence and you're supposed to fill them in correctly. And I mean, it's a number also in the word two. I mean, yeah, two yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a big thing. All right, go ahead, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, okay, it's me. You can't get me rid of me forever. Well, we're glad um, we can't. This is from a Tallahassee person. Yeah. Okay, so I'm very... Um, the first thing I want to do is ask Paul a question. Yes. What did they do about when they made those stupid rules about the taking the tests with no audible? What did they do about people with dyslexia or other kind of learning disabilities that can't read physically? Um, really, the same thing was true for them. Um, Liz, um, and and they were in in a, a an even more difficult place. Yeah. For you know, for two reasons. Firstly, because their 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 grade point averages tended to be significantly lower than the blind kids did. But second, um, second, they were they were in a bad place because um, in in general they were forced to use print whether they wanted to or not. <gasps> Um, and and so what tended to happen is they simply failed the reading test and ended up with special yeah. diplomas. Ooh, that's yeah, so, so wasn't good. Yeah. So, but I'm like you. I know how to read print and braille. I learned how to read print when I was eight, and I had to read it with the Opticon in high school. There were always two or three books that I never got. Mm -hmm. Um, thank the Lord that the school wasn't very big and the um, expectations for those people weren't very big. And so I ended up, you know, number two in the whole class. Hey, there were only go. 17 people, though, so it wasn't. <laughs> but um, there is a difference between whether you use Braille and whether you don't at work. Braille's faster. It, yeah. Um, you can just kind of, especially on the computer, I don't know how many people do it. I know I do um, for speed purposes and also, yeah. like they said, for spelling and other things. Um, so I, I, I would love to see us do another study. Um, there was one that was done in, in the mid 80s and it was it was given a lot of publicity by the National Federation of the Blind and, and probably deservedly. But what that study demonstrated was that that uh, people who were who were pretty competent braille reader, readers 
were far more likely to be employed uh, than than people who did not read Braille and could not read large print. I saw that. And then the other thing is that I actually know people that were too, uh, they couldn't see well enough to read print and they Uh never were taught Braille. And so they have nothing, no concept of, you know, like we said, there and there, two uh-huh. and two. And, yep. Yep. and then they're, you know, 50 learning how to read. Mm-hmm. So, Patty, did the you learn Did you learn Braille in school or not? No. Um, no. I, I went to, I, I, I was unable to go to KSB, Kentucky School for the Blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't fit the category of getting any services um, until I was a senior. Um, I also went to private schools, Catholic schools, uh-huh. and um, for the most part, if I was sitting, if I was put in the back, I most of the time felt like I advocated for myself, um, or I would get with a friend. I would have a friend that would say, you know, could could I see, could I see your notes? And and I knew who would take good notes and who didn't take good notes. Um, but when I was in high school, um, it, it took a half a year to get, um, one of the, uh, nuns that was, uh, I had two classes with her English and history and it took a half. You had nuns too? Oh yes, I had nuns. Oh, I Uh, had some doozies and I had some ones I loved. That explains everything right there. There you go. What does that explain to you, Rick? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, um, but, you know, reading the circles, you know, they always wanted you to do the test and fill in the circles. Uh Well, I could have two circles filled in on the same line or one line yeah. that would have none. I had trouble reading them. And when we finally got the it'd be you know, easy to her, disqualify your ballot. I do mine on a, an accessible machine. I <laughs> refuse course. to mark my ballot. Um, and, but, um, you know, once once I got the nun to figure that out right. at the end of the year, she says, oh, you're taking your test like everybody else. And oh, what no. they would do is let me write down my answer to each one. And uh-huh. then I would take it to my counselor and my counselor counselor would put would do it, the circling. Would do the circling. Yeah. Um, and then I went on to college and um, I went to Sullivan University, which is a, um, you know, it's one of those, they, they have terms and it's a faster track. Uh-huh. Um, that was the second college I went to, but they did not have um, Amanda Selm went there too, and they did not have any services for those of us who were visually impaired. And there was three of us going at the same time. Gosh! And they did not, they did not, you know, want us to. They did not want to accommodate us at all. And um, so good. I think that might be something that that CCLVI should look at um, mm-hmm. now and see what colleges and universities, large or small, um, you know, what are they doing to 
provide assistance. You know, when you're, when there was a lady that was there that was totally blind, that was mm -hmm. there two terms before us. And the only thing that she had a beef with and that she had a lawsuit for was because everybody wanted to play with her guide dog. Well, see? They gave <laughs> her braille. They let her take her test a certain way. But they said, oh, you all have vision. So, you know, we don't need to provide any assistance. Oh, that's, so that's ridiculous. That's something to look at. Yeah, it is something to look at. Um, all right, any more hands? Yeah, Ann Byington. Miss Ann, are you still talking to me? If I can figure out which buttons to push. And I would like to know how to fix that. And we'll talk about that later. But I've got several short comments. I worked with somebody on their GRE uh, for high school, not GRE, GED for high school. Yes. And I had this, this woman could not read or write Braille. She could not type sufficiently to do the essay part of her test. Uh -huh. And so I taught her how to dictate the essay with appropriate spelling and punctuation. Uh -huh. And when we got to the State Department of Ed, they said, nope, she can't do it that way. She's got to use a scribe, which in, in parlance of theirs was a reader. I said, why? She's quite capable of using a tape recorder. Well, we'll know whose test it is. And I said, no, you won't. You can transcribe this off of her tape. And I finally had to go to the feds. We've won that one, but it took a little doing. The point I would make is I used to tell people and they didn't like hearing it, that if they couldn't use a slate and stylus, they were functionally illiterate. And I still believe that because if you don't have a way to take notes and communicate with yourself and other people that doesn't rely on technology or batteries or anything but the metal slate and stylus, you can't read your own notes and you can't prepare your own notes. Now, I will be honest and say, I don't label stuff in Braille anymore because I can use the NFC tags. I use a Braille note taker. So my Braille writing is quite a bit more limited. But when I was teaching, I did all of my notes in Braille because I could get to them fast and I did start taking the shorthand course, but you know, learned now, did, as much as I needed. Did you, did you use a slate to write those or? I sure did. In fact, when now, I started my anatomy class, the professor and I hadn't gotten together beforehand, and I was sitting there writing like crazy, and he said, who's making that noise? And I, I timidly <laughs> raised my hand and went, I am, and I'll talk to you after class. I'm, I'm taking notes, and we had a great relationship, but it, it's, <laughs> it started out a little rocky. But I think Braille literacy is critical, and I think it does include writing and reading, uh, at whatever level people can do. And the thing that really bothers me is the AER listserv used to have people writing, teachers writing and saying, oh, my fourth or fifth or sixth grader reads 65 words a minute. Isn't that wonderful? And no. People and said, hey, I read 225 words a minute and I'm not unusual. You guys right. are sitting the bar way too low for these kids. Right. So, so let me ask you a this, the same question that I asked Patty and that I'll, that I'll ask others. Is a person who can't read large print and who can't read Braille illiterate? If you define literacy as only reading, probably not. Mm -hmm. 
But I don't define it as only reading. I think it's reading and writing and self-communicating. Well, Miss Miss Ann Byington, Ann Byington, Ann Byington, Ann Byington, as always, as always, um, you've contributed amazingly to our discussion, and I thank you so much for. And what was your question about our hundred-year anniversary? Yeah, when when did when did Kansas start? Nineteen or yeah, nineteen twenty. I thought it was before that. Nope. But wasn't wasn't there an organization of and for blind people in Kansas in the 1880s? The School for the Blind started in 1895. That was the those are the dates that I know. I don't I am I I'll have to I'll have to look at what I read and I'll get back with you because okay. I really thought Kansas had been around longer than that. Well, as far as we know, we started in 1920. That's still amazing. Did do, do you do you guys think you're the oldest affiliate? Oh no, Oklahoma started in 1919. Excellent. See, I didn't even know Oklahoma started in 1919. See, you learn something every day. <laughs> Miss Ann, thank you very much. Sure. <laughs> Mr. Rick? Yeah, Tom, you're next. Tom. I had nuns too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I have a two-pronged loaded question and having yes. just listened to both of you and then Ann talking uh, I think that the conversation isn't so cut and dried yeah. so here's, here's my question uh-huh. if it's a two-pronged question if you're young which do you think would be most beneficial for you to learn braille or or technology, I'll use that term broadly. And if you're an older person, I'm going to say 65 and older or 60 and older. I'm in my mid 70s, so I'm older. But it, yeah. it makes a difference whether you're young or old. So if you're old, which do you think would best uh, benefit you, uh, Braille or technology? Uh, all right. Well, these are these are real really braille directed questions. We could ask Patty the same thing in terms of large print, yeah. but, but in, terms of, in terms of my response to you, Tom, um, if, if you're younger and you have to choose between braille and technology as your primary form of, of learning, um, I, I, I would absolutely say braille. Um, because there are just too many benefits that exist um, later on. Now, I grant you that technology gives you the ability to do a bunch of things um, mm -hmm. that that Braille that that in the past anyway, um, Braille because of the expensiveness of electronic Braille displays was out of reach for most people. But I don't know that that's the case anymore. You know, we're almost to the place now. Where, where there is the possibility that we'll end up with, with a free braille display being made available for reading um, through the Library of Congress in, in five or, or, or six years, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But in any case, we're at, we're at a place where, where braille displays can be bought for five or six or $700 and in, and in several varieties. So we're not just talking about one. So the, the prohibitive cost of Braille no longer exists. Um, 
And so for younger people, I would definitely say Braille. Um, and, and for older people, I think, uh, I, I, I think most people would expect me to say technology, but I don't know that I'm going to. Um, and, and the reason that I'm not going to is I, I don't really expect people who are older to learn um, grade two Braille and, and become, you know, arbiters of UEB or anything of the sort. But there are so many inclusive things that Braille can enable you to do, like playing cards or writing down phone numbers or and that don't require a lot of learning. And as long as you have the tactile proficiency, and I, as long as you don't have neuropathy or something that prevents you from reading Braille, I think everybody, no matter what age they, they are at, ought to learn some Braille simply because it, it, it maximizes their ability to be independent. Do you agree, Patty? Patty? Um, you know, large print, I would say, is, is a little bit different because technology um, can make that large print happen um, a little easier than trying to get a large print book. Um, new books come out and they have yep. to go through this whole process um, my cousin, he wrote a book, oh, I guess three years ago, um, and yet today it is not in large print, so I'm going to break down and buy that book and, and read it under a device. But so, if you, if, but, but Patty, if you, if you bought the book and, and put it, put it into your computer, wouldn't you be able to use a screen magnification program in your computer to make the print bigger? Yes, but I'm one, I'm, I'm very old school. First of all, I like to take notes um, by pen and paper. That's because of the nuns, you're old school. It is, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it could be. Um, and, and second of all, I like to read a book just like any other sighted person picking up a book, I like to read a book. Um, curl up on the, on the couch with a blanket and read a book? Yes. I don't want to sit in a chair and look at a device the whole time. Um, that's another problem that I have, uh, you I know, looking at a fair. device too long. I think that's fair. But, but, and, I, I, but I guess I'm thinking that large print books are, are, are becoming almost as scarce as Braille books because they're just not being produced anymore. No, they aren't. Um, and when I will say that young people um, with a visual impairment, um, knowing what that visual impairment is, if the outlook is that when you're 40 or 50 years old, that they're saying that you could lose all of your vision. Mm -hmm. My mother will be happy for me to say this, which I have not done. I think that you need to learn Braille. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and know how to read it. And every now and then use that. But when you're older, um, I know that we do have some people that can pick up and, and learn Braille easy. And, you know, 
yep. older people might have a little more trouble with getting the braille down. So maybe it is technology. Mm -hmm. So, Tom, you've heard our answers. What do you think? Well, uh, I'll comment on your answers. Uh, good answers, both of them. Uh, I asked a question because I have a low business support group here in the little town that I live in. And most of the members of our group are older folks, seniors. And when they come to us, they're in some stages, usually of vision loss. And they're trying to find out how they can stay in the game. And of course, they go through the magnifiers and the canes and all the stuff. But they still want to be able to read things. And so I'm finding it, I'm finding that I'm recommending to them that if they can figure out how to rudimentary, rudimentally use a computer or an iPhone, you know, technology, mm -hmm. there it is, that may be easier for them to, to, to do the things they want to do than going, I, I, I use the word liberally, backwards and trying to learn Braille. Because I've tried to learn Braille at an older age. I was like 71 when they tried to teach me Braille. I'm finding the learning curve is way too steep. And, oh. and I'm, at least for me, I've went the technology route. And so I, that's why I ask, you know, what's the general consensus of opinion here out there in the world as to how I should advise my seniors that come to our low business support group. See? Thank you for asking us. Did, did I hear one of the yes. one of the group? Yep. You go. Heard, you heard me. Mr. I Gassman. Have, I have been a long time, in fact, all my life Braille user, probably since kindergarten. And, and and I of course as you know I'm involved in technology tons. So I love mm -hmm. technology. But if I didn't have Braille, I probably don't use it maybe as much as I used to when there was no technology. But Braille, not for all the voice work I do and all of the reading that I do, I have a Braille display. I have Braille books. But I love the fact that I can still read and will always read Braille because it keeps my hand in, as it were, to remember how things look and are spelled. Yes. And I can't imagine what it would be like to go without reading Braille for five or 10 words because you begin to forget after a while. And I, mm -hmm. I, I just always will, always will read Braille for that. I, I remember reading Westerns in kindergarten. And, and this is the downside of Braille sometimes. Maybe it's just me being stupid. No, it's the downside of Braille. It's not me being stupid. Uh, I'm in third grade and I'm reading a Western and I'm really getting involved in the Western. And I go out to my mom in the kitchen and I just finished it. And I said, mom, I just read, I don't know, gosh, 400 pages or whatever it was in one day. And there's something dripping on my finger. What is it? And she looked and she said, you've gone through the first layer of skin. <laughs> yeah, I had actually done it. Yeah. Well, my, 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 let me ask you this then. For seniors, is there a quick and easy way to learn Braille? There, there, there really are some, I mean, rudimentary Braille is, is really very simple and very logical to teach. Okay. And I, I, I think most, most Braille teachers would agree with that. It's, it's when you go beyond it and try to teach contracted Braille. And I'm, 
I, I would love to see seniors learn to do that. But remember that technology as it exists now is interesting because you can, you can set your Braille display, for example, to read only in grade one. So essentially all you have to learn is the alphabet and, and punctuation. And you actually would be able to read whatever the heck you wanted because of technology. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so the, the answer is, yeah, I think, I think teaching rudimentary Braille is relatively straightforward, not that difficult. And something that I think um, more organizations of and for blind people should be encouraging because, you know, there are a lot of seniors who lose their vision at the age of 65 or 70, who, yep. for instance, have spent their lives playing cards and now they suddenly can't play cards anymore. Correct. They, 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 they have no way of writing down phone numbers. They end up getting little tape recorders or something or, or digital recorders to write down numbers. That's right. <clears throat> and then it's really hard for them to find them uh, or, or they end up putting them in their, in their iPhones and, and, and that's probably a better solution. But I mean, clearly, I mean, the one thing that I will say to you, Tom, is the choices that seniors have today, even as compared to what was available to them five years ago, in terms of what they can learn to easily use and access uh, are immense. Um, and they're far greater than they were. Thank you. Yep. I have a comment too. Okay. Um, yep. yep. You know, as people, as, as people lose their vision, um, the one thing that I think is the most important thing for a person who had vision to do is to practice all the time. And I know checks are outdated and most people don't use them, but that is to write their name. Uh -huh. And I, I've taught handwriting um, a couple of different times um, with the Greater Louisville Council and KCB uh -huh. when they had adult ed. And when, as people lose their vision, their names are not, you know, they don't sign their name the same. And I guess this, this year with this election and with the, with the matching of names, you know, that are on the ballot. The signatures, to right? Yeah, the signatures. Um, I think it's very important that um, they, they keep signing their name and yes. to practice that because if you don't the banks um everyone i mean those documents that you sign they're important documents and they need to look the same and as you lose your vision and you are not signing the same and and you're not going to um i don't sign my name the same as i did 20 years ago but um, I don't sign my name the same twice in a row. Well, and, and most people don't, but to practice that and to sign I, a few things all the I, time. I think that's an amazingly good point, Patty. I, I, I really do. Mr. Rick? Phone number 8219, please. Hi, this is Peter Heidi. <clears throat> Hi, Peter. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Um, I have been blind and sighted four times. And, and um, I, I'm, I'm with you, Paul, that Braille is, is essential. 
Um, I, I had, uh, in, in going back and forth between uh, print and Braille, I, I had a, um, an issue that when I read Braille, I couldn't remember what print looked like. And when I read print, I couldn't remember what Braille looked like. And so um, I had to... That's fascinating. When I, when I started um, I, that, um, I would have, well, when I got sighted, I had uh, days when um, being sighted, there was just too much sensory overload, and I'd go mm -hmm. back and have what I called my blind days. And um, I was fortunate enough to be able to take glasses off and be uh, be blind again, and um, um, and go back to using a cane and reading Braille. And it would take me about a half an hour to 45 minutes to be able to start reading Braille again. Um, but after I'd gotten back to reading Braille, that it would take like three days before I could read print again because my brain, brain just didn't do the conversion. And um, now, now, you're at a Braille reading phase now, are you not, Peter? I am. And I and, am and so are, relieved. And, and are you likely to stay there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Have, I have two artificial eyes now, so. That, yeah, you're uh, likely to stay there. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't have to worry about going back anymore. Um, um, but that I, I that um, the the literacy thing, when I got my sight back in 1970, um, uh, first of all, I had I had real issues being able to uh, keep track of uppercase and lowercase letters. Interesting. And. Um, so, um, I um, I was, for instance, I was taking Spanish at the time, and you know, you're trying to write a test, and all of a sudden it was like, so what does J look like? And I could remember a capital J, but not a lowercase J, and so you know, I for in Braille, a J is a J is a J. It is. And uh, <clears throat> and so I just thought, what the heck, is it's, it's a J, I'll just put it in. And, you know, that sighted people want you to write according to case. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, for, just, for those, just for those listeners who may not know Braille, um, in Braille, um, you use a symbol in front of the, the letter that's supposed to be capitalized. Um, in, most, in most cases, a dot six goes before the letter that's to be capitalized, but you don't have uppercase and lowercase letters in Braille. Go ahead, Peter. So that, yes, thank you. So that, um, you know, that was a, a problem and uh, going back to print and then coming back to Braille, um, you know, how, how you receive the information um, is, is so different, and I find, yes. I find re the sensation of reading Braille, um, of reading words in Braille, is um, not not only is it a, a sensual experience, but uh, yeah. I find it to be a delight. Yes, and uh, and and I always know when it's time to quit reading because you know my finger just goes dead after after <laughs> several hours. I don't and, find my uh, finger goes dead, but my wrist tends to. Well, After okay. three or four yeah. hours, yeah, yeah, and, but I think there so, is a limit. Yep, and yeah. and um, it, that you, 
that reading reading with print it it was a um i that there was no aesthetic to it for me so right. um but Did, i think that i think that braille is really important um because it helps you learn things like formatting um, yes that when you learn on technology and you learn in uh, by sound that you don't have a, a sense of format. Yep. And uh, so that that's important. And um, and then when I got my site back, um, I I was in I made it through my senior year of college mm-hmm. before all of a sudden I hit a wall. And um, I couldn't uh, couldn't get beyond that. So they finally did a reading test, mm-hmm. and. Um, they found that my reading speed was at the third grade level, which is how old I was when I lost my sight the first time, mm-hmm. and my reading comprehension was at the first grade level. Oh, dear. And, uh, and so, I mean, was I literate? Um, I, I could read, and I had some comprehension, but, I mean, I was, I was uh, rated as functionally illiterate. Yep. And I think that um, that... that that's a whole different and that, um, conver- conversation that, that needs to take Did that have to do with the, the transition between sight and vision for you, do you think, Peter? Um, part of it was. Yeah. Um, part of it was um, I, I hadn't learned advanced mechanics in reading print. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I, had, I ended up having to get a tutor and... and um, that yeah. uh, I, you know, I was I, I was with a counselor at the university. <clears throat> I was at University of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and uh, and he said, "Whatever you whatever you do, please don't tell anybody that you were able to make it uh, through this uh, into your senior year as a, as, <laughs> an, as an English major at the University of Wisconsin, uh, only to discover that you're functionally illiterate." And, and and just so people know, Peter Peter is actually an active minister and, and, and a really good braille reader now. So um, so Peter, thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah, thank you. And, and but that I think I think that no matter what, braille is essential. Um, I, I, you have to you have to have some form, um, whether it's large print or braille, you have to have one of them. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you, sir. All right. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Ralph, uh, Pat, yeah, yeah, Ralph, go ahead. All right, uh, great program this evening. Uh, you guys are doing a good job for us. Um, I think it's vital that people who cannot see well enough to read print should learn some attributes of Braille. You know, whether it's uncontracted or whatever, but. I also find when I read Braille, when, when I'm by myself, I read out loud, and that seems to help as well. Mm-hmm. I just I just thought I'd share that. Now you're you're in you're really on both sides of the fence because you're a Braille reader, but you do have some useful vision, and I think you're also a member of CCLVI. Are you not? I am. Yes. Uh huh. Um, so so tell us a little bit about what you get from both organizations, if you would, Ralph. Well, uh, CCLVI um, is a is a good organization as well, with the with the various programs that um, you know we're involved in there, and Braille is just that's where I live. I mean, I uh-huh. if I if I lost Braille, I would be sunk. 
I just would be. Ralph is editor of what I haven't told folks about so far, which is our award-winning magazine, which comes out twice a year called the Braille Memorandum, or in fact, the BRL Memorandum. Yes. Um, <laughs> and um, it, 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 the last issue was 79, uh, eight, eight and a half by 11 Braille pages. And, and our, our other issue is probably a little shorter, but not much. So um, that's another thing that you get for, for when you become a member of the Braille Revival League. And both Patty and I will tell you before the end of the program how you get to join um, both of ours, uh, our organizations. Um, but, but Ralph, you feel comfortable in both organizations, yeah? I do, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my print skills are very limited uh, because of, of course, my low vision. And I, I grew up uh, learning Braille, but I know the capital letters of print easily. Some of the mm -hmm. lowercase give me trouble at times, but um, yeah, if I, would I were to read... I would have had trouble with Peter's J's. Because I, uh, I always if, thought that the two J's looked the same. So, <clears throat> if I were, if I were to sit down and try try to read a page because of the way my uh, eyes contact the printed word, it would be very slow. It'd be like R A L because of yep. the focus of my eyes. So, yep. yep. Uh, but I could do it if uh, you know I have the capacity to do it i just don't have the vision to do it excellent mr ralph thank you so much for your call yes miss patty anything about what uh, what peter said well i have a comment about what um you, whatever comment you more, want dear what yeah um, go, go, go. that is is that i've i know quite a few people that read large print and they do read aloud too. And I think as I, I do it also, as we as we have lost some vision here and there that we might miss letters in, in reading the print. So actually reading aloud um, allows us to get the full story. Kind of makes um, sense of the whole thing. It, it does. I, I like reading important. out loud in Braille sometimes too, because uh, th there, are, there's just some material that sounds better being read out loud. For instance, I, 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 I hate to listen to poetry being read on, on in in audio, so I enjoy reading poetry in Braille, but I enjoy particularly reading it out loud because then I'm interpreting it, and it's not somebody else who's doing it. Yes. Yeah. So and you can read it at your own speed. And, and you, I think a lot of times yeah. people who have low vision that are listening to the audio while they are reading, mm -hmm. um, it, it, they don't always read everything. They hear it. Um, and and I, I myself, if I'm listening to something, I will try to take the speed down to where um, it is with that I can read with it without missing anything. And, and see, that's, that's where you and I kind of differ because as a, as a kind of a longtime technology user, I, I'm a little spoiled because I actually read 
technology usually at about 500 or 550 words a minute and that's where i'm comfortable um and if in, and if i have to read it more slowly i tend to start losing interest but i can read braille at maybe two 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 fifty three hundred words and, and do okay with that anyway um do we have another hand yeah we do agnes please agnes Hi. Hi, Paul. This is Agnes from Greeley, Colorado. Hello, Ms. Ferris. How are oh, you? Oh, hang it in. Um, when it, I agree that it is essential for people to be able to read Braille whether and write it. And even though I you know, have a computer, I still rely heavily on Braille. I know how to use a slate and stylus and do use it. I do have my Perkins Brailler and I use it and I know what it's like to be in a situation where I was always using Braille and suddenly be told right now you can't do this when I worked as a Braille proofreader for what was Braille Transformation Services and then Transformation uh -huh. Braille and then went to Braille International I acquired uh -huh. a job related injury there and for a year I could not use braille and that was so hard for me because i kept everything in braille i read everything in braille you know i'd make braille labels and i had all my addresses in braille and i had to uh, switch over to taping and i had to be very specific when i did it in the sense that i would always have to make sure that i would make copies of tapes because tapes break and they do they do and the other thing is I used to teach and, you know, when I taught, I tried to apply the philosophy that Dr. Gideon Jones, my professor at Florida State University, uh -huh. was that you tailor the technique to the person, not the person, you know, to the technique. And I had different people at different levels of being able to read braille or not because of different circumstances but i also had some people that uh lost their vision and as and when they were sighted they were pretty illiterate they did not know you know how to uh how to read or how to yep spell so when i would begin to teach them braille you know we would have to uh work on all of that um and I don't own an iPhone, so I can't avail myself of all those different apps that they mm -hmm. have. But I can tell you this, even if I did, uh, I would use it because I live by myself to get the information, but I would be constantly slapping on something in Braille. I even Braille stuff, you know, when I get my groceries and I have a friend that comes up from Denver sometimes. And one of the things we do is grocery shopping because she loves the grocery shop. I do not, but she does and she'll come home and we'll make the braille labels and put it on things and she has often said to me you know she said agnes i i watch what you do all the time with all of this and she said you know i'm thankful that i can go into a store and just buy my stuff and bring it home and she often um tells people that but when i was learning to use and when i learned to use technology I couldn't do it without my braille because I'm always making braille notes. And yep. when I was um, taking some classes at the University of Northern Colorado, 
people said to me, oh, Agnes, you know, you don't need to keep all these numbers and stuff in Braille. Just put them on the computer. I said, oh, no, no, I've always got to have my Braille. Well, guess who they'd call when their iPhone was down and they needed a number really badly. And I can tell exactly. you, there were a few of them that were hesitant to call me, you know, because they didn't know what I'd say. And lastly, I do want to address the issue of, of teachers learning Braille so they can teach it well to their students. Um, I helped to assist with teaching a Braille course as part of my assistantship when I did my master's degree at Florida State University. And I was not the head person, um, but I was her assistant. And I had students, I think, who wish they could have just taken my fingers and sent them somewhere because I was tough and I expected good Braille. And I gave them some instruction about ways they could try to erase to give a good erasure. But mm -hmm. if I could feel the erasure, it got you know, marked off. But the yep. person and I had a little difference of opinion at the end of the class because there were some things when she graded their final projects, she didn't count out for that I did. But she, I was also asked in the beginning if they wrote something and realized that they had a mistake, could they use the full Braille style sign and block out the word and write next to it? And I said, absolutely not. I said, these students have to learn how to give good Braille, good quality Braille, good mm -hmm. neat Braille. I said, would you hand a sighted student a test that you had crossed out and write, wrote over? And she said, well, no, but I said, but nothing. I said, they, they need to learn to do this um, you know, they need to learn to do this properly. And, Proper, from what and I've been, appropriately. Yes. Right. And from what I've been hearing lately, more and more over the years, teachers aren't taking it that seriously. And, and as was mentioned, people think if you just run something off on Duxbury, it's okay. But, you know, it's not. I mean, they could hand somebody something and a whole line could be, you know, yeah. missing. I mean, it's getting, it's getting to be more okay because of, um, because of, um, UEB, but uh, it, it's still not okay, I think, in terms of formatting and that kind of thing. Miss Agnes, one last question, and I need just an answer. Yes. Um, if people can't read Braille and can't read print, are they illiterate? I, I say so from the standpoint of not being able to communicate and make their own notes, they're illiterate you know, from that standpoint, they might be able to listen to things, but you still can't do everything you need to do. Thank you, Miss Agnes. Mr. Rick? Phone number 2318, please. Yes, thank you. My name is Estelle. I'm calling from Fort Collins, Colorado. And this is my first time on your call, and I'm very, very impressed and pleased with all the conversation. My comment is about the person who was asking about teaching seniors Braille. Yes. I am a senior, and I am reading Braille at a pretty slow rate. I heard you said you could read 250 words a minute in Braille. If I'm on a good day, I can read one page a day. <laughs> uh, but and that's, but that's really slow. good from starting where you are, but that's fine. Well, I'll tell you what, the thing is, I have this condition which a lot of seniors have, and that's neuropathy. Yes. And I 
it's very difficult for me to feel the dots, especially when there's two or three together that have four or five dots in each one, and it's it's really hard for me to distinguish. And about the only way I can do it is by the text, and, you know, the context content. But um, I think that's one of the things that keeps seniors from even trying to learn because they can't feel the dots and it's it's really a difficult issue for for a lot of the seniors so that was my comment but i i really do enjoy your program thank you thank you and let me ask you the 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 one word question is if a person can't read print and can't read braille but can use technology are they illiterate or not uh, I don't know. Uh, I think they, if they can use technology to do to do the similar kinds of things, to hear things and to be able to uh, maybe record things, maybe they're not illiterate. Uh, it's 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 just kind of a, a personal um, definition, you know. It is. It's really it different for everybody, but uh, I, I don't like to label people with things like that that are going to be annoying or, you know, make them feel bad. So I, I would say anybody that can do whatever they need to do is not illiterate. You're such a nice person. Thank you for your call. Thank you. Uh-huh. Go ahead, Beth. I'm really enjoying the, the program. And first of all, I like the tailoring the technique to the person. I could never physically do the slate and stylus. It just escaped me. The coordination just wasn't uh-huh. there. So I wasn't pushed into it. I tried it and it didn't work. As far as UEB, I have not learned it, but I can read it because of context. And I find it right. very interesting. Yes. Also, um, you're, it, you would be amazed. Well, maybe not because you get emails from sighted people their spelling and grammar is atrocious by a lot of sighted people as well i I think you make a good point beth absolutely yep and what you were asking about literacy i would need to look up the word in a dictionary before i could answer the question of who is literate and who isn't i don't feel that i am prepared to to say that i think by everything that i have usually heard if you cannot read or write is the definition that I've heard, but I haven't that, really looked it up. That that's correct. But the, you know, the, if if you read with speech and write using a computer keyboard, um, is that the same thing as being able to to read and write in other ways? And well, and that's of course, the, there's spelling. That's the question. Yeah, I mean, that's the question. Yeah. we're 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 debating, and I'm not right. sure there's I'm not sure there's a right answer, Miss Beth. Yeah, there, um, there, there may not be a, uh, uh, it may, may be kind of a gray answer. The thing that, that I'm so glad that we're doing this tonight, because I've been discussing Braille with a sighted friend who is extremely interested in the topic. And when I told her that 10% of blind people read Braille, she was shocked. And then we got to talking about something else. And she has asked a few questions. And I have the good fortune tonight of being on this show. So I thought I would, I would read these to you and, and you could kind of give me your thoughts. And I, I think I know the answer to a few of them. When children are denied Braille because, uh, is it because the parents are unable, unwilling to say, oh, you need an alternative to print? And also, is it because kids don't want to be different? That's the first question. So, so I think all of those answers are partly correct. I think there are a lot of parents um, 
if they if they have a choice who who would prefer that their kids not be taught braille on the other hand there are a huge number of parents uh, who really want their kids to be taught braille and they have to fight to make it happen um, i think uh, usually there's there's kind of a battle and, and Patty may want to get into this too. There's usually a kind of a battle. I, I, if I had the choice of having this really cool little braille display in class with me, that was new technology and it was really and it was really cool and that my and, and that my classmates would probably be very jealous of, I would probably choose that over a bulky large print book. Yeah. Yes. Now I agree. Now, I agree. <laughs> if I could have an iPad in class, yeah, if, exactly. if I had had an iPad in class to where I could have the book on the iPad and and I could have it blown up, um, oh, and not have to try to strain and read that the, all of that material, and I could have it at the font that was very comfortable to where my eyes would not tire. Um, I would have, I would have had that new iPad in class. Oh, I would have loved it. <laughs> now, but now the, 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 the other issue, though, I think, Beth, is that there are probably a lot of teachers and a lot of school systems who are essentially telling kids that they don't really need Braille because, because they can do everything they need to with technology and they don't, so they don't really need to go to the trouble of learning Braille, which is hard. The truth is, it's hard for teachers to teach it. Um, and and there, there are probably a few teachers who will hear this podcast and say I'm being grossly unfair to them and, and to those and, and to those who really do try and encourage Braille, you're right, I am. Um, but anyway, now, next question. Now, Beth. the next thing is that she asked was, and I, I, this, I, I know this is true, are there limited teachers and material resources for teaching Braille? And I know that's that's true. And is that part of the reason that Braille is denied to a lot of people because they just don't have the resources? Um, well, I, I think there, there are not probably as many Braille teachers out there as we'd like, but what there are, are Braille readers. And, and one of the things that I've tried to encourage members of the Braille Revival League to do is to become volunteers in the school system we have a skill that that most of the teachers don't have and could provide tutorial assistance as volunteers or even perhaps as hired teachers aides um, in terms of braille which which i think we're not doing nearly enough of now um, so i but think they... there there are lots of braille readers around are there enough transcribers no are there enough braille teachers no um so she's right and and also aren't isn't it isn't it so bad that now that if you get once a month service from a a tvi you're you're doing pretty good for for braille um i don't think it's that bad and besides which there are a lot of correspondence courses that are out there um that will allow you to learn braille but i don't think it's it's gotten to quite that stage Oh, okay. And at her last question is, where do children with uncorrectable vision fit into this whole picture? I don't know what that means. Well, you've got your low vision, but and, and the vision cannot be corrected. So how do you make the decision, I think is what she meant, to learn or not to learn Braille? 
Um, I, I I may let I may let Patty answer that one. Okay. It 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 depends on where the vision, um, the acuity is. It, it, are they able to see print? Um, are they able to? Um, functionally read read print are they going to be able to keep up if it's a child that's in school are they going to be able to keep up reading print if not um, I think that they should you know learn braille because you need to learn to read and write and and back to one of the points one of the questions you asked um, you know just like with braille if these kids these days, my granddaughter goes to school, there is nothing they do by hand but use graph paper. Since the beginning of school, she has not had to really write anything down. They don't know how to write cursive anymore. Um, if you don't, most of these kids are going to grow up, and if they had to sign uh, a check or a money order, or sign for their house, they're gonna do it in print because they it's don't amazing. teach what they need to teach mm -hmm. so that they can, um, I, I just don't believe that you can live without knowing how to read and write. You know, uh, you, you brought up a very interesting point. When I sold my home a couple of years ago, I signed electronically. Interesting. Didn't I didn't have to sign sign. It was all yep. electronic. I well, see, I just how much older I am than you, Miss Beth, because I ended up I ended up having to sign like 30 times. So when 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 I last bought a house or, or sold one. Um Miss Beth, thank you so much thank for all you your so questions. Much. And and my friend says thank you too. She's extremely interested in this and I will forward the answers to her. Thank you. You're more than welcome, Miss Beth. Miss Karen. All right, on the technology front, I hope we haven't strayed too far from this. But I have, well, Paul knows that I have the Orbit Reader, and I have, I'm very, very guilty of having about, I would say, 20, 30 books on my Orbit Reader that I would not or otherwise be able to own because there's not, not enough space in Braille, aka hard copy Braille, to uh -huh. store all that stuff. But and that's, be, that's becoming a big issue. That's becoming a big issue, isn't it, Karen? Because sometimes male persons don't want to deliver hard copy books, and your your average Braille book is going to be oh three volumes or four volumes, and each of those volumes is going to be pretty big. So it does become an issue. And the other comment I have is. Uh, if and when they come out with the MIT Braille, I'm not giving up on this, by the way, Paul. And I hear that. Um, you'll get, you'll probably get sick of it, but uh, I will quit nagging people about letting me use Braille menus because the whole purpose of the MIT Braille is to replace the Opticon. Yep. So we'll see how it works. Miss Karen, thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Mm -hmm. Rick? Renee, please. Renee? Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Um, 
a few points I'd like to make. First of all, um, I am one of those folks, um, and I am on the I am a member and board member of CCLPI, but I uh, I was born totally blind and then got partial vision, which has changed over the years. So I can see out of one eye, but um, they took Braille away from me when I was um, uh, of six, as far as my parents uh, could could uh, tell me, because well, since I started to see, then they wanted me to, to use to use print, and. Um, I do, I learned Braille later in life and I, I still have my grade two Braille notes and I started to learn grade three, but then um, after college, it, um, it kind of died down. Um, yes. I, I don't like the UEB Braille because it's, it's extremely cumbersome and I'm having a hard time um, with it. I do have a, a, a Braille display by Freedom Scientific and I, I wish I would have gotten the 40 cell rather than the 14 cell uh, that, that, that I got. And I just may go ahead. Uh, but um, but the I'd like I'd like to see the Braille. As the, what bothers me about UEB Braille, I feel my choices are taken away because the, uh, the, the displays, you, yes, you can have grade one Braille or you can have UEB Braille. But I can write in grade two Braille, but if, if if I'm reading on the computer, uh, it, it's coming across as, as great as, um, as UEB Braille. And I think that there are some Braille settings for that. But, but when there, you there, there are. You, you should be able to, to get back to the, to the old style grade two Braille if you want to with, with the devices now. Now, maybe four or five years from now, that may not be the case. But right now, you can't. Uh, yeah, and I'd like to discuss that further with with the um, with the um, BRL folks, uh, and uh, sure. I'm going to try. That's not the place for here. As far as I know that I know that for the neuropathy, they have a jumbo braille, and they, they used do. to have micro braille. Uh, and <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't do the micro braille, but the jumbo braille was what a lot of older folks who have neuropathy would would use. Right. Um, now, what I, was I, what was interesting is is Japan has actually used what amounts to micro braille as their standard braille. Um, if you look at Japanese braille books, it is really tough to read because the braille is really tiny. Tiny, yeah. And uh, the uh, I, I do use a slate and stylus um, at times. I'm I'm not a fast braille reader by any stretch of the imagination, but I do use it for work. I kind of spot read braille. Um, I use it for work when I'm reading money, especially if I want to want to you know figures and things like that. And I have it on my, my computer, and I do have a braille note taker, but. Um, uh, which uh, from from Freedom Scientific, but uh, I I think that a person you know that whole literacy question is I think a person is literate if they read the print if they can read print and and write print um, I do obviously I consider myself literate but I'm not literate in Braille and I um, I have to thank my mother uh, for. Um, she really encouraged me to get back into Braille because my uh, it should never have been taken away from me yep. and, <laughs> at, in, in, in grade school. And I learned how to read and write. I learned how to write print by feel. My, the teacher would have to make the letters by hand with Goodness. holding on to my hand because 
uh, and it, and um, and so that's how I learned how to write print. And I have to think about it. And sometimes if I'm writing in print, I have to think about the letter I want to make and how do you make it, and and I have to stop. But um, uh, I guess I don't want to rattle on, but I really like the discussion. And thank you. I, I would like to. I would really, really like to come aboard um, the BRL one of the meetings to discuss this business of UEB further with you. Uh, sure. A lot of older folks don't want to have anything to do with it. And I don't know what we're going to do five years from now, but I really don't want my choice of um, Braille being taken away from the, from the computer settings because that's where it is. It's the settings in the, in the jaws and or yep. whatever it is that you're using. Yep. Whether you use the Braille. Yep. Thank well, you, Ms. Renee. Go ahead, Patty. Um, you know, she mentioned uh, about her parents, and I think that parents that are blind or visually impaired are more, um, they're, they're more in tune with what their children need, and they push more for um, Braille and or large print, yeah. but those sighted parents, um, they think that if their child gains a little bit more vision or if they can read a little bit of print that a lot of times they think that they should be treated as the normal sighted kids yep sighted kids and and i think that's a a big difference and it's a big mistake too yes yep patty thank you mr rick kathy farina please kathy hi uh, it, this has been a very interesting discussion, and I would like to mention that I am a member of CCLVI. Um, I'm also um, secretary of my local ACB chapter, and I use a Braille display and take notes for, to, as, as secretary, but I do have vision, and I learned print when I was in kindergarten, but at that time, they didn't have a lot of the magnifiers they have today, so they said, gee, you know, you can read print, but it's so slow and it, your eyes get tired so much. We really think you ought to read, learn Braille just because you'd be able to do your homework faster yep. and better. And so they did. They taught me Braille. And I am so glad that I learned it. I am really, I, you know, I use it. I don't write it as much as I used to when I was in school, but mm -hmm. I use it, um, you know, to make notes and to label things here and my husband's totally blind so if i want to leave him a note i can leave him a note because i know braille and um i i think that everybody should consider having all the tools they can in their toolbox um i um i think that you know i i think i i agree that you're not literate if you can't read and write and communicate with other people in writing um yep. so you know that's just that's just my opinion but i am just very glad that i learned braille and i still read it when i whenever i can and i can use print and i am glad i can read print but i'm also glad that i have braille kathy thank you so much for your call mr rick Phone number 4640, please. Hi, Betty Passanani from Philadelphia. 
Now, that last lady had it right, all the tools, not one, you know, all the tools you can have. Anybody can learn Braille, whether you can see or not. You can't learn print if you can't, you can't use print if you can't see. But you can use Braille whether you can or can't see. And you can use Braille whether your you're right. is fluctuating you're right, or whatever. Yeah. Right. I, had a quick, I had a quick question, which is a little off topic. The last call about the e-readers, unfortunately, yes. I, had to, I tried to listen to it, but my state convention was going on, and I had signed up for something or other, and, I, you know, and, and all that, so I missed the chance. Real, very quickly, dear, are you going to need a computer to access the new e-reader, or how, no, is that, how are you going to access the all. books? Not at so all. How does, the, that, how does that work, the, quick, roughly? The, they get downloaded directly, and that's all I'm going to say. Okay, Okay. so you'll download it directly in the machine. All right, fair enough. Uh, yep. That's great. Yeah. As, as far as the discussion and the call, it's wonderful, it's fantastic, and, and I believe it's, it's, there's too much of this, this or that, one or the other. We need the whole spectrum. Yeah. Sighted, you know, sighted people need pencil and paper. I, I've never, you know, they, everybody needs a basic non-electronic form of reading and writing. Whether it's pencil and paper or for, or Braille, the te- now the technology, the interesting thing is Braille and technology are, are coming together in a way that makes them help each other. Braille mm-hmm. uh, with the Braille displays are one thing. I have a Braille speak, which I'm very sorry they don't make anymore. That uses Braille in another way. You don't feel it, but you hear it. Well, you can connect it to a Braille printer, but you yep. use the Braille keyboard. You use the Braille commands, and you can spell and all that. You don't, you don't feel it, but you can go back over the letters and all of that. Yes, that was a great w- wedding of uh, of technology and 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 Braille. Uh, yes, Braille it was. Braille was novel and it was used in a novel way. I thought. And, it was. And I'm, very, I'm very sorry they don't make it anymore, and I still have mine. And and if it weren't for that, I would never have been able to keep track of these Zoom calls. I'll tell you that the numbers. <laughs> Miss Betty, thank you so much. Okay, dear. Bye-bye. We, we appreciate it. Let's try yeah. and take two more quick calls, Mr. Rick. Yeah, phone number 3317, please. Hello. Hi. It's hard to come in at the end because I don't want to duplicate and repeat what people have said. I do the Hello, literacy project. Yes, sir. I belong to CCLVI, proud member of BrailleRevivalLeague.org that everyone should join. I love CCLVI. We now have, for the first time with Windows 10, um, narrator and magnifier working very well together. I just want to hit some quick points. One of the problems in the teaching of teachers who are learning to teach at Braille, because I'm talking to all these schools, is some of these schools are creating visual dots, as they call them. The teachers are sight reading the Braille dot pattern, and they never see a dot. Thirdly, I feel that the two-handed Braille reading method should be taught and to Paul's point that we can volunteer if we could teach every slow braille reader the two-handed system that would be wonderful I think literacy also involves an ability to communicate more than just putting an iPhone in front of someone's face yeah and if I could say something about the literacy project if you don't mind yep get you got about one minute Pat okay I'll try to do it faster one of the reasons why we're flooding books in the hands of teachers is that if they've got the books, they're more likely to use them, and large print is being provided, and there is also jumbo braille for older people. Paul, this is a wonderful program. Thank you. Now, Pat is from, is from Indiana and runs a braille literacy project. For What she does is, is puts, uh, puts 
books for kids into libraries and into the hands of teachers and contacts uh, education training departments as well to try to adults. promote braille, braille literacy and adults. So, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's an amazingly effective project and thank you so much for all you're thank doing, you, Pat. Oh, good. This is Jeannie. Ha <laughs> ha. I was ready. Okay. Um, I want to build on what Anne and Peter and Ralph said. I think that functional literacy is, in fact, having a way to reverse back and forth, being able to read and write in Braille or print and, you know, do it so that you can read your own things. I have learned how to write my print letters, but I can't read them, and I can type with a keyboard, but I can't read them, so if I couldn't read Braille, I would be functionally illiterate. On the other hand, people like Tom and then the other lady, the lady who spoke that said she was a senior, if they can't read or write um, print or braille well can't read or write, read it print or braille anymore they're still intellectually literate in that they were able to do it as long as they had vision and so I think that distinction needs to be made and then as another part of literacy there is the comprehension you can read a story to a three or four year old child who hasn't learned how to read himself or herself yet but that child can comprehend that you know goldilocks said oh this one is just right and and they can know what it means and also i think the other um, part of literacy is experience you know if um, mary nell mcclennan who works for the printing house i guess she still does i don't think she's retired years ago was doing speeches on experiential literacy where it's what you have experienced. If you rolled down a hill and you read about that, you know as a child who is blind how it feels. And, mm -hmm. and, and also I think that always braille to a child who is blind is absolutely as important as print is to a child who is sighted. And mm -hmm. I, taught, I taught adults, but when I taught adults, if they were physically and mentally able to do it and I know one lady said she physically could not use the slate but I taught them the slate and stylus before I taught them the Perkins brailler because they could take it home and use it and I didn't get to all my points but I know we're running short so I'll I'll be quiet at this we point are. Oh, math and music though need braille too for math and music you know you sure do you know and, and, and we have almost no music transcribers left anymore and um and, and math is an interesting issue because Ooh. there are now two different, two different codes that are being used in school, both the, the UEB math code and the Nemeth math code. Exactly. Elizabeth. Yeah, I'm just gonna say the tools in the toolbox, that's very important. And I'm so glad that I had the print experiences that I had. They weren't the greatest and I don't wanna have all my life reading print because it did stink, but I'm glad that I had the. I mean, it was it was. I school books are so big. I'd get down to the second paragraph and not remember what was in the first one because I was I hear too you. busy figuring it. But and I used the Opticon. I still you're just you're, you're just looking at all the boys is what you're doing, Elizabeth. I know. Sorry. I was, but um, <laughs> no, there weren't that many. But um, so. But I do, I'm grateful that I learned they make Fisher Price 
letters with print and braille on them now so there's no and that is so cool that for is. any yep. any braille person to oh, to learn print too because i remember we went yeah. to this place one time and it was they, they had a trash can and you know they have a little thing on the front and it says push yeah print. and so this friend of ours who had never learned print um he said what's that and he was looking at the part that said push and it just makes you be more aware of the sighted world if you know print. That means putting more tools in your toolbox. Miss Liz, thank you. Now, is there one more person hanging around? Yeah, Diane. Diane. Yes. Oh, you, got, you got about one minute, Miss Diane. Okay, I'll try. Um, <laughs> sorry. Th thanks a lot, Paul. Well, I, I like to end the call with something a little goofy. Um, we were talking earlier, you were talking about sloppy braille. Mm -hmm. And at the School for the Blind that I attended, apparently that was acceptable to them because everybody put four signs on their braille when they wanted to cross out oh, something. Dear. And, you know, we, it, it was a very hard habit to break when I started trying to learn um, transcribing and proofreading because of course they don't allow that. Um, so anyway, we had this uh, one teach. actually it was our principal and he also taught elementary algebra. And someone, uh, one of my friends said that he walked by, uh, the, the teacher walked by his desk and looked at his paper and said, four, 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 goodness sakes. <laughs> Thank you, Diane, we appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Miss, Miss Patty, you have two minutes to summarize and give your contact information. Okay. Um, I would hope that everybody could uh, come to our chat calls, learn a little bit more about CCLBI. Um, you can join CCLBI by going to cclbi.org. Go to the tab that says join CCLBI. There are different ways that you can become a member. You can download a form and send it in with a check. Um, and the address is at the bottom. We have an online application. Um, and if you need any information, we do have an 800 number that is 844-460-0625. Um, you can also give me a call. My number is 502 9050869 and we'd love to have everyone join. And do you want to talk about two events that are coming up in the next month that you want people to know about? Um on the fourth Monday we have game night. Um and uh every Friday morning at 11 o'clock we have 11 Eastern um we have a chat call and we talk about just about anything. So um, you can come ask questions um, and learn a little bit. And excellent information about how they can get on those is on your website? Yes, it is. It's on our events page. Very good. Miss Patty, thank you so much for being a part of tonight's program. I have thank enjoyed you. having you as my, as, as, as my guest and it's been fun to go back and forth. Yes, it has. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sure. So the Braille Revival League, um, if you're interested in joining, 
We do also have a website, which is BrailleRevivalLeague.org, all spelled out, so that's B-R-A-I-L-L-E. Um, on that Braille Revival League, there is a, a section where you can join. You can also, uh, and you can send an email to treasurer at BrailleRevivalLeague.org, um, and, and our treasurer, who is Jane Corona, will get in touch with you. You can also call our treasurer at 301. Now, am I going to forget her number? I can't believe I would do that. The last part is 2131. And it is, uh, well, that's ridiculous because I just called her today. Um, anyway, um, Ralph. It is 301. Yes, thank you, Ralph. Next week on Tuesday Topics, we will um, have as our guest, Jim Crott, who is a member of the ACB board, but also has had an interesting life. And I think folks will find um, him a very interesting person um, to get to know a little bit better. Um, I've enjoyed our conversation tonight about the two affiliates and about literacy in general. I think it's important for people who are blind um, to explore together um, what makes a, a blind person effective and competent and what the impact of vision loss and the impact of tools like Braille are in terms of making people more capable of being fully included in the world. And I also think it's important for us to share differences of opinion, if we could persuade others in our society to be as reasonable about sharing information as we are in ACB, I think our country would be a lot further together and probably a lot further along in terms of creating a, a country where we could get things done effectively and appropriately. Tuesday Topics is an opportunity for all of us uh, to interact I think in an appropriate and respectful way. And I'd like to thank all of you who are uh, involved with our podcasts or who listen to us every week. You are what make Tuesday topics good. I am just the conduit through which information sometimes flows. Appreciate the opportunity to be a part of Tuesday topics and look forward to having everybody join us next week when we get a chance to talk to one of the more interesting members of the ACB board, whose life has been extremely interesting and extremely exciting. Again, my thanks to uh, our hand raisers, our streamers, and to my co-producer, Rick Morin, for making Tuesday Topics what it is. Without them, this program would be nowhere. Good night. <laughs>